0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we're going to talk about dealing with depression, anxiety, and hopelessness. But just before we get into that, I just wanted to again announce to you that there is an upcoming conference in the uh, the States that you want to make sure you are at called the Politics of Sex Conference. This is being put on by the Fight Laugh Feast Network. You can find all the details online and also a good reminder that you can get a $100 discount If you are a Fight, Laugh, Feast club member, and so make sure to sign up for that. As many of you will know, uh, the show Leadership Now is hosted on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network, and you can get that podcast as well as many other Canadian and uh, podcasts from the States as well on their app. So make sure to download that lots of great resources there. As we head into our discussion uh, today, we know that a lot of people are struggling with depression, anxiety, and despair in light of what's going on around them. And while we want to continue addressing the cultural issues that contribute to this problem, uh, we also, on this episode, want to offer us pastoral response to depression, to hopelessness, and to despair. And so Aaron, can you take us into who this podcast is intended for? Well, if you're convinced that depression
1: is exclusively a medical-related issue, then the podcast is probably not for you. You might want to fast-forward to the next episode or a previous episode. I, I'm not um, intending to address the issue of clinical depression today. I'm, I'm not a physician. And yet I do fully recognize that the human body – is complex. And while we have a physical aspect to us that physicians are trained to deal with, we're also soul and spirit. We have minds and emotions and we're involved in relationships. And as integrated beings, a person can slide into a state of hopelessness or depression or despair, as we call it, for a variety of reasons. And it's not just chemically induced because something misfired in your brain, I, I want to speak to, to uh, people that are struggling with hopelessness and depression and despair who have this sense that there has to be a solution that goes beyond medical intervention. And I'd like to just say, uh, not for the purpose of self-promoting, but I, I want to just say that I have been pastoring for nearly 3 decades now. I do have a doctor's degree and part of my doctorate involves some doctoral level courses in counseling. So I do have some education in this area and also lots of experience and but but beyond all that I I live in the real world just like everyone else does and you know I I know the complexity of human responses and emotions that we often have to the challenges around us. So I wanted to just you know, do this episode to help prepare people to maybe deal with uh, depressive thoughts, a sense of aloneness, a sense of hopelessness as they look at all the craziness that's going on in the world around them. So if the, if you're listening and you suspect that your depression might be due to influences that go beyond your biology and your body chemistry or maybe acquired brain damage, uh, or some past injury to your body, then this podcast is for you. You know, in the Psalms, which is a a great book of the Bible, you know, composed of 150 Psalms that help us to address God, speak with God, the Psalmist spoke in Psalm 143, verses 7 to 8 of having a failing spirit. The psalmist spoke, or the, the prophet Isaiah spoke in Isaiah 61.3 of having a, a spirit of heaviness. The biblical writers cried out for a sound mind in the face of the challenges of life. And so if you can perhaps relate to that uh, sentiment expressed by the psalmist or Isaiah or some of the biblical prophets, then I would say this podcast episode is, is especially for you.
0: Okay, so we know who it's for. Now, I want to pick up on something you said there about, you know, the reason we talk about depression. And so why do we talk about depression? Because most people might just gravitate to thinking that's something reserved for the medical establishment.
1: Yeah, that's a common misnomer, misunderstanding, I should say. Um, We know that um, antidepressant medications are one of the most commonly prescribed medications uh, in in America and Canada and that squares very much with my own observations as a pastor I you know I, I have chatted with a lot of people over the years that are um, you know looking for help and they've made appointments with their physicians and many of them have made appointments with their physicians and received medication because they they have the assumption that that's the only option available for them now, I'm very much willing to concede that there are occasions when medications and drugs and medical intervention may be appropriate for depressed people. For example, if um, a person had a history of past drug use and they actually physically damaged themselves and you know their, their body is not functioning properly, or if a person acquired a brain injury uh, or is going through postpartum uh, and, you know, hormones are, are doing funky things, I, uh, I'm fully willing to acknowledge the, the need for medical intervention. But what we need to be careful about is not to assign every malady that we have to physicians. Uh, since when were physicians appointed to be doctors of the soul, for example, mm-hmm. Since when we're physicians appointed to be doctors of stinking thinking, you know, if we have poor thinking, if we believe lies about ourselves, the world around us or our purpose or lack of purpose or what relationships are, or we've mismanaged relationships or we've involved ourselves in addictive behaviors, etc. These are, you know, emotional, spiritual, social, relational challenges that people have that really are outside of the the the, um, expertise of physicians. Uh, Historically, it would have been the job of men like you and I, pastors, to provide care for people who are struggling with everyday issues. But what we've observed, and I've observed this rapidly in my own ministry, is once again, the church has relinquished its ministry to secularized authorities and we we have a lot of pastors now that all feel completely uh, incompetent or almost as if it's it's a violation of their own authority or something to speak into people's lives if someone uses the d word you know mm-hmm. if they have depression i'm not willing to offer that concession i'm not willing to give the care of the soul the mind the spirit over to the, the medical establishment i would say no, that's not their, their area of authority. Now, if someone did genuinely have a medical condition and wanted to go see their physician, fine. But um, maybe one word of caution is that have have meeting with someone that you, you don't know and having a three-minute conversation with them and then getting mind-altering prescriptions is probably not super wise. You might want to make sure that there's a little longer process to it than that. I, I mention that because I have spoken with several people over the years who – I asked them, you know, when you when you f- saw your physician to receive prescription A, B, or C, how long was the conversation? I can distinctly remember one saying, "Oh, maybe about three minutes." Mm-hmm. Well, that's um, that's a very brief conversation to um, receive something that has potentially life-altering consequences. So, uh, for many people, uh, you know, their lives are in a shambles. They've made bad choices, and as a result of that. They have anxiety or depression or worry. And these things are labeled in scripture as sins. So perhaps for many, a a better prescription for their lives is to align their mindset, their relationships, their outlook on life with God's words. And God is obviously going to speak through teachers and counselors. We're not anti-science but what we're very comfortable saying is science is just one little slice of the pie. You know, there's a lot of human knowledge out there and all of it is trumped with God's knowledge. There there also is a little bit of pressure, like what happens if you just look at occupations over the years, pretty much every, any, every occupation today that's licensed at some point wasn't licensed. Mm-hmm. But things, you know, we live in a society where people like to license and authorize everything. So we've essentially created a whole new class of experts in soul care and we call them therapists or counselors or whatever it might be. And we just pass it all over to them thinking, well, they're the ones with the training, they're the ones with the expertise. Well, in many of those circles, it's just an echo chamber, a, you know, a recycling of knowledge. And uh, they, they would often feel quite threatened if, if pastors uh, were, you know, t- to declare themselves to be counselors wow, God forbid that we give counsel, godly counsel to people, biblical counsel. So there is a bit of pressure from the the professionalized, you know, the, uh, the, the counseling elite to remove all soul care and counseling and giving of good advice, biblical soul care uh, to the church. But it's actually our job. So we're going to continue to do that because, you know, it's part of what God has called us to.
0: Now, I think you're describing to me what is the outflowing of a, a Christian worldview where we understand there is the soul, and sadly, many Christians seem to have just, uh, you know, adopted this humanistic, naturalistic worldview where <laughs> there, there's a science explanation to everything and not a soul. Um, so, on the topic of depression, you've mentioned, I think, what maybe we could describe as different types. Would there be different types of or kinds of depression? Could you explain that a bit more? Well, some people, uh, you know, come from families where they would say
1: that depression runs in the family. So, you know, they very well could be a biological disposition. Some people, um, you know, maybe more bent in that direction. You know, as a result of the fall of man into sin, we all, you know, we're all biologically corrupt, spiritually corrupt. We're all... Socially corrupt, and you know, some people are more angry by nature, some people are more passive, some people are more depressed, and some of that is we would say hereditary. Um, it's not God's original intention for us to live in a bluesy type with a bluesy type outlook on life, but there, there's a there can be a hereditary link to that, it can also be a sociological link depending on the, the way your parents raised you or the environment within which you were raised. Um, a person's sort of innate psychological makeup obviously has a lot of influence on their disposition their outlook towards depression and uh yeah I mean I mentioned earlier there can also be depression after pregnancy, often you know called postpartum blues or postpartum depression and this can result from the ad- adjustment process that you know a mother is going through as you know, hormones um, balance and readjust in her, her body chemistry. And it's pretty serious. Like for some people, this can lead to uh, suicidal thoughts, uh, an inability to work or eat or sleep or just enjoy life in general. But at the same time, uh, depression can be symptomatic of a failure to obey the Lord or um, making bad choices or just believing lies. So, for example, let's say a person is living in habitual relational sin. So, let's use the example of a marriage. If a person is never content in marriage, they they live in a marriage where there's distrust, there's, there's infidelity, there's fighting, there's harassment, there's abuse, either one-directional or two-directional. Well, and, and, and let's suppose that you continue in that kind of a pattern of living for several years um, well it it wouldn't be any surprise that you'd you'd find yourself feeling kind of hopeless and in a sense of despair as you you don't see any way out or you just think this is the way it is and this can become a pattern like think we often talk about habits like oh I got a I got a bad habit be a twitch or a bad habit, I, I eat too much ice cream, or I have a bad habit, I, um, you know, whatever, bite my lip or something like that. But mental processes can become bad habits as well. The way we think about relationships, uh, if we have a negative, pessimistic, uh, untrusting view of relationships, that can lead to uh, depression. Um God has also created us to work. Work is not a bad thing. It's a redemptive thing. God created us to work six days. If a person says, I'm not going to follow God's law in that regard, I'm just going to be lazy. I'm not going to be productive. I'm just going to, you know, sleep in every day and coop myself up in my basement watching whatever Netflix all day long. You know, never getting any vitamin D, never getting any sun, never relating to other people, never producing anything that can lead to depression. And why wouldn't it? Because you're not designed for that. When you step outside of God's patterns and purposes, of course, things are going to start to feel not so great. Substance use, um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, the softer substances like, you know, caffeine or sugar, or, you know, you get into tobacco or cannabis or alcoholism or drug use or whatever. Again, we' we're, we're integrated beings. If you start frying things in your brain, if you start pumping yourself full of chemicals and that you know b- don't balance other things out, then you can put yourself into a, you know, a, a pretty challenging set of circumstances. Another one that comes to mind is, um, and I would say in, in some respects, if I were to say, okay, the, the times in my life where I felt sort of despair, or hopeless, It would be a failure to keep the Sabbath, that Sabbath keeping principle where you, you know, you work, you work, you work, you work, you do, you do, you do, you do. And, you know, you think you're Superman or something and you never actually take time to just rest and relax. And God has called us to spiritual rest and physical rest and Sabbath keeping. And your body is not designed to go nonstop. So this is a sin if we don't follow God's patterns. We work seven days a week. That's a sin. And you can expect that if that continues, something is going to go awry in your life. And you're probably going to start feeling hopeless. And you may even be involved in a lot of good things. Maybe you're working seven days a week, you know, 12 hours a day in ministry, and you've justified that behavior as, you know, godly godly behavior it's not godly behavior it's playing god and eventually it's going to catch up to you and one of the potential expressions of that is just hopelessness or despair a sense of depression because you know your, your body it's just it just can't keep up to that kind of thing the adrenaline just
0: kind of goes crazy on you I think a lot of us could point to just reading the headlines in the last year and yeah. a half, and we'd say that caused <laughs> depression. Yeah, yeah the, like, the, the, another one would be COVID depression. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Too long uh, not seeing people's faces or something. <laughs> but uh, So talk to us about some of the people in the Bible that were depressed.
1: Well, we have a lot of examples of people that went through bouts of depression. Uh, Abraham in, in Genesis 15, uh, Elijah in 1 Kings 19, Job, uh, I mean, obviously, Job, in all of it, you know, he's losing his his um, family, his children, his livestock, his health, and he's just uh, you know, you read through those middle chapters of Job, and it's it's pretty sad. I mean, the guy is 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 pretty um, feels pretty hopeless at times. Jonah and Jonah four, you know, the whole let the plant die. I'll just I just want to die, Lord. Uh, Saul. In 1 Samuel 16 went through a bout of depression. Jeremiah the prophet. I mean, one of his books is called Lamentations. Yeah. <laughs> so some of these people were depressed due to sin, uh, like Saul, for example, or uh, a lack of faith. Um, so we have Jonah kind of sinning, lack of faith, lack of embracing his true mission, trying to create his own mission for life, refusing to obey the Lord. Um, others were just disappointed at other people. You know, some of the prophets, Jeremiah, he just felt like he's banging his head against a wall, so he went through some some bluesy times. But in every situation, their their depression was tied to to a particular issue or mindset, and the solution to that depression, to that hopelessness, to that despair, largely res- revolved around. Things like uh, repentance, so if you're living in sin, you have to repent. Or if you're eager for God to act and he hasn't acted yet, patience, learning patiently. The, The ability to patiently wait upon the Lord is super important in life. We're not very good at that. Or finding joy in spite of your circumstances, because sometimes our circumstances, they don't get fixed. They don't get remedied. But we still have to find a way forward. So if we're in that kind of depression, which is not clinical, it's circumstantial, it's spiritual, it's uh, relational, it's, it's, uh, you know, it has to do with uh, something that um, you know, we're not maybe picking up on or some area of life God wants to mature us in, God can provide us with that comfort. Why would we, why would we not think that that's true? Do, do, do we think that God wants us to live in a depressed, hopeless state of despair? Of course not. In fact, God confronts that kind of mindset. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, there's a couple verses there, 25 and 27. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, right? There's anxieties often tied to these these um, uh, uh, depressive thoughts. Uh, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Jesus doesn't say, go see your physician there. He he confronts it, and one of the saddest things that we're seeing today is that a lot of pastors and Christians don't want to confront it. Instead, they're they're almost like overly nuanced. So someone comes with uh, depression or despair, and we're like, "Well, I don't I don't really know if uh, we can help you. You know, maybe you should send it to a counselor, a therapist. Have you talked to your physician?" It's like maybe they have, maybe they haven't but we're so nuanced. We're so terrified of liability. We're so terrified of misdiagnosing. We're so, um, uh, you know, maybe we sort of like have a, a low self-esteem mm-hmm. in terms of our, 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 our ability to help. And, and that can all stand in the way. So again, a lot of people have never heard uh, their pastor say that worry is a sin, that anxiety is a sin. And here we have Jesus saying it, but but we don't want to say it. Mm -hmm. Well, where's our source of authority? So these, these words are meant to rebuke faulty thinking and, listen carefully, encourage you that God is in control and that our responses when we respond with worry, anxiety, all these negative emotions, they don't really help. God loves us. He wants to control our lives so that we don't have to. When we try to control our lives and we don't let God control our lives, things just get worse. So we need to take these promises to heart. We need to write them out, meditate upon them daily. And when we do that, a person is positioning him or herself for for healing. And of course, this presumes that one has already encountered personal faith in Christ, repented of their sins and is availing themselves of the spiritual discipline is, you know, reading scripture and praying and serving. I mean, if we're not doing that, our our actions affect our emotions. So, so those are some things for us to think about. Hmm.
0: How would you say a proper understanding of the way God has designed humans informs our view of depression and what role does sin play? So I kind of mentioned
1: this earlier. I, I, I'm not like a, I'm not interested in people thinking of themselves as like a three persons or three parts, but we do have these constituent parts or elements that make us up, and we have the body, the soul, the mind, the spirit, and uh, this this can be helpful in terms of saying, okay, if I have if I have an issue, and I'm just trying to process what my issue is, is it a physical issue? So I have a body, right? So is my issue a physical issue? And if it's a physical issue, listen to that word, we go see a physician, right? That's what we do. But at the same time, we don't want to divide ourselves up too much into all these constituent parts because, um, it's it's very simplistic to say, well, you know, pastors deal with spiritual issues and physicians deal with physical issues and and so forth. Mental health professionals deal with mental issues. And we kind of compartmentalize all these uh, healers. Rather, it's better for us to think about how each constituent part of our makeup affects the rest of our makeup. So... For example, if I am um, not taking care of my physical body, so I'm fat, I'm overweight, I'm eating garbage food, I'm a sluggard, I'm lazy, I'm an addict, I'm sexually immoral, whatever it might be. Well, you don't think that's going to affect your soul? (laughs) Of course it's going to. You don't think that's going to affect your mind? Of course it's going to. Uh, Likewise, when a person has deep emotional baggage, like soul issues and spiritual issues, that can affect your body, right? So uh, people cut themselves, uh, people kill themselves, people uh, abuse substances. While the, the, the damage one could say is being done to your body, but it didn't start there. It started with... A sick soul, a sick spirit, uh, a damaged mind, uh, whether it's a physical damage can stand in the way of you comprehending truth, for example. So, if, you know, if someone hits you on the head with a hammer or you're in a car accident and you sustain brain damage, of course, it's going to affect your ability to comprehend truth. It's the rest of your body might be completely fine, but it'll actually affect your bodily functions, your ability to walk, talk, maybe procreate, etc. So we are we have these constituent parts, but if one's if one part is suffering, typically the rest of it starts to suffer. So if if for example I believe a lie, so let's just talk about like a um, a spiritual lie. So someone if I believe that I'm just the result of a, a random evolutionary process. So I'm, I'm not made in the image of God. I'm not valuable. There's no, there's no um, loving God that oversees me and has a purpose for me. I just kind of randomly showed up. I'm going to live for X number of years and I'm going to die. And I believe that lie. Well, that will affect the way I spend my money, the way I relate to people, the way I process life's tragedies. And that lie, we could say it's a, it's a, it has affected my mind. I have allowed a lot of mm-hmm. lie could affect my body. It may be like, Oh, I'm just going to go take my life. Then things are too tough. I was born, whether I die in seven years or 50 years or whatever, 30 years, who cares? Mm-hmm. So that lie can affect my physicality and it can also affect my spirituality, right? So I, I, someone says, well, actually, God loves you immensely. Jesus Christ died for your sin. No, I don't believe that because I believe the lie. So we're integrated beings and uh, one part necessarily affects the rest. So I, I guess I'm kind of an integrationist in that regard in that I'm, I'm interested in people finding holistic health and uh, so v- very much in favor of medical intervention when it's physical and very much in favor of pastoral intervention, uh, church intervention, when it affects these other areas of life. Now I do acknowledge that some churches haven't put any time and energy into helping people in that area. So a person might say, oh, I agree with that, but I I just can't find that kind of help in
0: my church. Well, that's the fault of the church. We're just talking here about the way it should be, not the Mm -hmm. way it necessarily is. Mm Now, even as you mentioned that verses come to mind where you talk about, um, you know, a joyful heart is good medicine to the body. Yeah. And you think Wonderful. about the how integrated we are mm-hmm. that and even in ways that we won't know. Um, I know there's been a lot of research done with pornography specifically and its effect on people's thinking, but it right. also the body yeah. as a result. And it's fascinating to see that patterns of thought do affect our physicality in real ways. Yeah, I mean, even,
1: even so far as uh, impotence, mm-hmm. right? Where peop, young men or young women that are, um, you know, at, in a, at a stage in life that you would assume they're sexually active, they're, you know, maybe they're married, but they've engaged in sexual sin and they've basically almost destroyed the, their sexuality. Sexuality, obviously, is a great example because it involves the mind, the body, the soul, uh, you're, it's a spiritual act, and you know, th- what the world says is it's just a physical act. So, do whatever you want. Love is love. They don't define that, and they're actually contributing to to the destruction that a lot of people are are experiencing. Um, exercise. You know, if you if you don't exercise and you, you don't take care of your body, you can start to feel pretty down, and you know, people that run or, um, you know, get outside and start to get active all of a sudden, oh, how come I'm feeling better? I didn't, it wasn't like I was praying more. Or I, it wasn't like I was reading eight chapters a day. <laughs> well, it's yeah. just because they started taking care of their bodies, surprise, surprise. But see, while one might say, well, that's that's more like the kind of advice you get from your, you know, your personal trainer at the gym, actually, well, that's great, but the Bible has something to say about that, that your
0: body is a temple and that you're supposed to care for your body. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've talked about depression, what it is, who this podcast is for. Now let's turn to some solutions because <laughs> we may have a few people that are listening that are quite sure. depressed right now, obviously. Yeah. And we want to offer them something of substance. Yeah. Yeah, so
1: I, I can't speak to uh, every single situation through a microphone, but I can offer some broad uh, advice and then you know point them in the right direction. So I think it starts off with um, it's an authority issue. So every person that is struggling in these areas or councils or is in ministry and wants to help other people, you need to ask yourself a very fundamental question. If you believe in God, do you believe that that God actually wants to help you? Do you believe that? Uh, Now, every true Christian would say, well, yes, God does want to help people. He's not a mean tyrant. He's not out there trying to steal our joy and make life stink. He wants to help us. So if we, if we agree that God is good and wants to help us, then we should be able to assume that God has given us something to help us. And God gives us people and God gives us individuals and churches. But all of that must be governed by God's primary gift, which is, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in redeeming us from our sin and our unrighteousness and speaking a word of truth to us through the scriptures. So unless you think you're keener than God, I think it's uh, sensible for us to assume that the word of God is sufficient to help us to deal with the issues of life. And what I'm not talking about is just, hey, you know, memorize three verses and see you next week. But the, the, the whole of scripture the, the whole Christian worldview, who God is, who we are, how we're to live, how we're to relate, how we're to care for our body—the whole ethos of Scripture has not been digested by most Christians to the to the degree it should be, and we unnecessarily subject ourselves to suffering and challenges because we just we're not stu- students of God's Word. So. It starts off with believing that God God does want to help us. God is a good God, and God has spoken truth to us. And so, again, unless you experience physical trauma or it's literally a physiological issue, um, we need to take people to God's word and present them with a Christian worldview that will help them to overcome. Uh, Obviously, uh, we also need to kind of remove the stigma attached to these issues. So I find that uh, while we don't want to over talk sin and, you know, always focus on our negatives, uh, we do live in a generation that tends to be more open and vulnerable about talking about their issues. Like we're not in sort of that old British, you know, keep the stiff upper lip kind of culture. Like people tend to be more vulnerable and, and that's good. I mean, we're called to, to um, encourage one another, exhort one another, approve one another, console one another in scripture, that presupposes vulnerability. So we need to create cultures in our churches and in relationships where, you know, people can talk about these things. So asking questions like, hey, you know, what? what is your high and low? What's been your high and low lately? Or how are you, how you actually feeling about, you know, situation ABC that I heard you just went through? Asking good questions, creating cultures in our churches, getting people into small groups, getting people into one-on-one discipleship, getting people into... Um, you know, robust discipleship relationships early on in their in their faith is super helpful. So we don't want to stigmatize depression, so, um, um, anxiety, worry. We we want people to be able to talk about their you know emotional responses, but not just from a psychological or clinical perspective. We want to truly be able to pastor and shepherd people. Uh, through their issues. So part of it is creating a culture where that happens. So we have an authority issue is, do you believe that God's word is sufficient to deal with the issues that it's designed to deal with? Um, do you have a culture uh, in your church and your ministry? Are you, or if you're the one who's looking for that, are you involved in a robust network of relationships? So if you're at home depressed, you know, and your best friend is someone that just friend requested you on Facebook an hour and a half ago, well, you're, you're putting yourself in a place where you don't have access to people. Like you have to develop those relationships, right? And relationships take time when you're a, when you're in kindergarten, you can you know develop a best friend in one 15 minute recess, you know, in public school, it might take you a term in high school. It might take you a couple semesters. You know, if you're an adult, it takes a few years to develop robust, meaningful relationships. So we have to work at that. Um, we also need to, remind those that counsel and practice this kind of therapy that you you cannot really fully explain human behavior apart from God's knowledge of who we are. So you can run off to all your seminars, read all your books. I've read a lot of them myself. And there's a lot of fascinating things out there that people can teach you and a lot of just interesting, helpful information. But if you don't have a robust understanding of who God is and the salvation message, God's story of redemption, who people are, uh, what sin is, this sort of thing. You will never, ever be able to fully understand your own behavior or another person's behavior apart from having a good, solid knowledge of God's opinion on these things, God's perspective on these things. Second Corinthians uh, seven, six speaks of God's hope. He wants to comfort the downcast. So we need to encourage people to go to the Lord. We can't, we just have a magic wand. Counselors and therapists know this, people that do it even professionally. You know, you could, you can meet with someone and say, everything you say could just be like gold, but th- but there's no healing. And it's not because a person didn't do their homework. It's because there's some things in life that really need divine intervention from God. So people need to go to a Lord in prayer and repentance and confession, just to cry out to the Lord and ask him, Lord, you've said in your word, you want to comfort the downcast. I need that right now. And, you know, just pray that prayer until God breaks through and gives you mm-hmm. that kind of comfort. Um, God also uses people where we believe in all the one and others. Like if, if God was doing all the preaching, there wouldn't be a need for preachers. If God was doing all the evangelizing, there wouldn't be a need for evangelists. If God was doing all the prophesying, there wouldn't be any need for prophets, etc. God uses people. We are the tools in his toolbox. And so, um, getting involved in, those soul care relationships. If you know, there's nothing wrong with going to see a good biblical, godly counselor that loves you and wants to help you. Go see them, and I'm not talking about the ones necessarily that have the you know the shingle out with you know the, the price sheet. People, there's a lot of godly people in, in in the churches, just run-of-the-mill Christians that that have a ton of life experience and love the Lord. And one of my concerns is we've professionalized this aspect of ministry so much that, um, you know, we, we often think, well, the average person can't help us. And we find that most of the issues that people experience in our church are actually helped first and foremost just by being in a small group around regular, normal, quote-unquote, untrained people that have been there, done that, and can help them through the challenges of life. And then just another one, and these are all sort of, again, broad strokes. I'm not speaking directly to every nuance, but that good old-fashioned Uh, you know, those good old fashioned sermons just remind us of the promises of God, Mm -hmm. the promises of God, God's promise never to leave us and forsake us, to carry on a good work in us until the day of our redemption, Uh, the promise of of eternal life, you know, the, the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus, reading the promises of God and standing on the promises of God Goes a long way to helping us through our
0: um, uh, issues. And that just reminds me of Proverbs, which tells us that every word of God proves true, and so we are um, always constantly reminded those promises are absolutely true. Um, they are God's word to us.
1: Yeah, uh, the word of God is is life giving. You know. I want to just kind of end by applying this very directly to what we're going through. So um, I'll, I'll just be, I'll just be um, very transparent. Um, I'm not by nature a depressive personality. I do have times where I feel kind of a sense of despair. And it's because of the circumstances around me. And this past 17 months or so has been incredibly painful uh, on me. And on many others, not the only one, but many other, I'm just speaking for myself Mm -hmm. right now, incredibly painful. And, um, uh, you know, seeing the Western culture kind of teeter on the brink, seeing what I would say is the failure of many churches to take a stand for the absolute lordship of Christ over his church. Uh, Good friends who've left our church for reasons that I think are very illegitimate and um, uh, premature, um, some of the attacks we've received from media, it's, it's been very challenging. And, you know, there's been, um, you know, if I were to take the words like depression, hopelessness, and despair, I would say that at times there's that hopelessness or that despair that I've, I've sensed in my own life. But, you know, there was a song we used to sing as kids that Said, um, "Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace." And that—that's such a beautiful reminder that when we take our eyes eyes off of the horizontal, we kind of look above the circumstances, see the big picture. Look to the Lord, that the Lord does comfort and guide. So I—I I found it. And it might it might be in part because you know we're, we've got a little bit of freedom given back to us this summer, but I—I I have a certain sense of of hopefulness these days, because I'm seeing the Lord leverage the suffering that we've experienced, the persecution that we've experienced to, to do a mighty work in, in this church and in many other faithful churches. So we have, um, you know, many, many people that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, over the past year. Um, I mean, you're going to be baptizing mm-hmm. 15 more on Sunday. I think we've had 70. This will be bring us up to about 70 new converts, 70 baptisms, and then we've had um, you know opportunity to bless and interact with um, small business owners. Uh, we, we have as a church, and I was talking to a, a dear Christian brother this week, that's just been a huge blessing to some Christian business owners helping to pay for their, or sorry, uh, business owners, small business owners helping to pay some of their legal fees. There's some ministry opportunities there that are rising. Um, people looking to us for guidance and direction, people flocking into the church and, and finding a, a place that's well somewhat normal. So the Lord is working. And um, I'm not sure that all the circumstances of life are necessarily going to be fixed because to to move from hopelessness to hopefulness, to move from despair to, let's say, joy, doesn't necessarily require that the circumstances change. Mm-hmm. But when the Lord invades and the Lord helps you to see the bigger picture, those things are often, they fade into the background as we as we realize, Hey, God is still very much on his throne and he's doing an amazing work. And I want to be part of that. I, I want to, I want to continue to be part of his army. So I would just say um, overall, I'm very encouraged and spiritually, not necessarily culturally, mm-hmm. but spiritually mm-hmm. optimistic. That the Lord will continue to do a mighty work
0: through faithful Christians um, around the world. Awesome. So as you continue to fulfill the great commission, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's called you to fulfill the great commission. He will give you the strength to do it. And he does promise in the great commission to never leave us, to be giving us his presence. And so that's a huge encouragement as we uh, continue on. Thanks for listening to the leadership now podcast, right? Reminder that you can hear us on CJXC radio, Canada's constant Christian companion on 11 a.m. on Tuesdays and 11 p.m. on Thursdays. And also, again, the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Make sure to go there and download the podcast uh, or the app as well and other podcasts from great uh, great uh, leaders across Canada and the U.S. And we just want to thank you, Aaron, for your time. Thank you for sharing again and sharing a little bit of your heart there at the end especially. And we look forward to tuning in next week for another episode of Leadership Now.